Amen. I love that image of uh, the shepherd putting the sheep on his shoulders and, and bringing him home. I just love that image. Love that song. Thank you to the worship team. Appreciate you. Okay, well, today we're going to be looking at the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And I've selected uh, Isaiah chapter 45, which is an illustration of the sovereignty of God. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 45, we'll begin reading with verse 1 through 13, and then 22 to 25. Lord, open our hearts so that your word will take root in the good soil. And as you plant your word in the good soil of our hearts, that we might see you working, making changes, bringing us to confession, opening our eyes to who you are and how we fit in to your purpose and your plan. Grace us this day with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is in the story where the Israelites are in Babylon, and God is calling someone to once again bring them out of Babylon and take them back into uh, Israel to rebuild the temple so that God is not finished with his people. It seems like no matter what his people do, that God has a plan and a purpose and he moves in that direction, bringing them to the fruition of his purpose. So, Keep in mind, this was written, this was written, this was prophesied 200 years before it ever happened, right? So this is like a prophecy of what is going to happen, and Isaiah is telling them, and really they haven't even gotten into Babylon yet and gotten into the tough stuff, and God's telling them what is going to happen. So keep that in mind as we read this. Because it's an important ingredient. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, 
I summon you, Cyrus, by name, and I bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light. I create the darkness. I bring prosperity. I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say, the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Holy Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children? Or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. And then verses 22 through 25. Turn to me and be saved, says the Lord, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the powerful word that the prophet Isaiah has spoken this morning. I was working on my sermon and um, I got a phone call. My son went to... Uh, uh, Kentucky this week on a mission trip with 25 people from Greenmont. 
And so I realized that my daughter-in-law was all by herself with five kids. Seth took two of the oldest with him. So I thought, I'm going to spend as much time as I can after all of this Father's Day, right? It's Father's Day is coming up. And Grandfather's Day is coming up, so I'm going to be a grandfather. So I go over and I said, what do you want to do, kids? And I, uh, I knew what they were going to say. Their favorite game, Connect Four, Connect Four. Did you ever play Connect Four? You know, there's, there's a yellow one and a blue one, and the first one that puts the checkers in and connects four wins the game. So while we're doing that, and I'm playing with my f- almost four-year-old grandson and my al- almost six-year-old grandson, they said to me, what are you preaching on this Sunday? Which they occasionally do. And I said, I'm preaching on the sovereignty of God. And they said, what's that? What is the sovereignty of God? So rather than immediately go into a pontification of all my theological reservoir of treasures that I have in my mind, I decided to show them playing Connect Four. I said, all right, we're going to play this game, and I'm going to show you what the sovereignty of God is. But you're not going to like it. And you're going to say to me, I'm going to hear from your lips by the time we're finished, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I'm also going to hear you say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Have you ever said that to God? What are you doing, God? That's not fair. All right, so we start playing the game. I let it go for a little bit, and we started, one of them put a yellow one in, one of them put a blue one in, it started to go, and then I said, all right, step back, boys. And I went in, and I took the blue one, and I put it over here, and I took the yellow. What are you doing? It only took about two minutes. That's not fair. That's not fair. So I, I took control of that game. And the one who thought he was going to win, the oldest one, lost. And the one who thought he was going to lose, won. And I said, boys, that's the sovereignty of God. And then I said, who put the stars in the sky? Who put the water in the sea? Who made everything and has a right to do with it whatever he wants? And the almost four-year-old said, God! I said, that is the sovereignty of God. I said, Elisha and Ezra, you do not run your lives. It's God. It's God who is in control. It is God who is sovereign. And the sooner you understand that, No matter what you do, no matter how the game turns out, God is sovereign and that he loves you and that no matter what happens, it is God who makes the decisions about what happens in this world. And I said, that is the sovereignty of God. Brothers and sisters, that is the sovereignty of God. So there's three places in the scriptures. One of them is in Isaiah 45 where we talks about the potter and the clay. And that is an illustration, right? 
because the potter is the one who is in charge. The potter is the one who takes the clay and decides what the clay is going to become. So in Isaiah, it says, so who is the potter? God is the potter. Who is the clay? The people of Israel are the clay. Cyrus is the clay. Everyone is the clay. And then in Jeremiah chapters 18 and 19, you remember that God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And he goes down to the potter's house, and what does he see in the potter's house? He sees the potter working the clay. And then he sees the potter taking some of the clay and putting it aside, right? And he illustrates that God is the potter, and we are the clay. And then in Romans chapter 9, which is a very famous chapter that, that Paul wrote, who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why do you make me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for beauty and another for menial use? So here's the question in relationship to the sovereignty of God. Does the potter, almighty God, the creator, the sustainer, the one who decides everything in relationship to his creation, does the clay have the right to ask the potter questions? Or does the potter have the right over the clay? That is the issue in relationship to the sovereignty of God. See, you might have been brought up like I was. I was brought up believing that all men are created equal. Is that in the Bible? All men are created equal? No. It's not. Where does it come from? Abraham Lincoln said that. Abraham Lincoln said all men are created equal. Jesus never said it, and the Bible never said it. Who makes the decision what people are created for? The maker. God. The potter. See, as I was growing up, I had this image of myself Sometimes I would be the clay that jumped on the wheel and I invited God to mold me and shape me. And then I was clay that ran out into the woods. I, 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 I said, uh-uh, no, no, no. No, you're not shaping me for this. I'm out of here. And I ran out. The potter has the right to shape the clay as he pleases. No wonder that the one attribute of God that I have found throughout my entire ministry that people least appreciate is God's sovereignty. Can't get enough of his love. Can't get enough of his righteousness. Can't get enough of his treasures. But the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. That is going to require 
that I understand that I am the clay and he is potter. One of the things that I hear the most is, uh, and, and one of the things that I had to come to grips with in relationship to the sovereignty of God was his mercy and justice. So let's say that God decided not to give anybody salvation. Would there be anything wrong with that? Would there be anything wrong with God not chasing after people and being the shepherd who goes and brings his sheep to himself? Would there be anything wrong with that? Is that not just? That would be just for God to do that. God's justice could have him say, I don't care for a lot of them, and I'm doing away with all of them. That would be God's justice. But here's what we do. Here's what we, the clay, do. We say, I demand your mercy, God. I demand your mercy. You have to be merciful to me. You are obligated to be merciful to me. Is that the truth? No. God is not obligated to be merciful to anyone. He is just. And in his justice, he could smash every one of us and everyone that he created, including his chosen people, Israel. But God elected those people. He had a purpose for those people. And because he did, God took his justice and he mitigated it with his mercy. So the fact that we can come here today and look at the cross, that is God's mercy. That's where we experience God's mercy, at the cross, where instead of putting us to death, his son took death for us. The propitiation of our sins, the great exchange that God now is merciful toward us. But God has no obligation to be merciful to us. And that's why in Exodus 33, 19 and Romans 9, 9, 15, God says, I will have mercy upon those that I want to have mercy upon. I choose who I'm going to have mercy. And now I want to come to the text this morning, to Cyrus. And notice in the text that God calls who his anointed? Call Cyrus his anointed. 200 years before the prophet ever spoke this to the nation of Israel. 200 years. It was written. It was spoken. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus. God announces by name the deliverer for his people from a coming captivity 
and he does it 200 years before the man Cyrus is born. Cyrus is anointed. Cyrus had a particular anointing from God for his work. Do you realize he is a pagan king? He's a pagan king. But God in his sovereignty uses pagan kings. God in his sovereignty uses the worst thing that could happen in our lives ever. God in his sovereignty uses that if we allow him to be the potter and we become the clay. But no, we say, no, no, you can't be like that, God. No. The potter doesn't have a right to do that to the clay. It's kind of like you're playing Connect Four, and they never add up. It doesn't connect up. And you end up saying, that's not fair. It's not fair. How can God do that? It shows up right here in this passage in Isaiah 45, right? And look at what God has to do. They're in Babylon. In Babylon, the river, a gigantic river flows through it. What does God do? He turns the river away into a swamp. And what's left? There are, window, there, there are gates there and things so it can't get into the castle and it can't get in and, and, uh, and drown everybody. And <clears throat> look at what God says. To open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. So King Belshazzar of Babylon held a reckless party and Cyrus came in and conquered the city by diverting the flow of the Euphrates into a swamp. It lowered the level of the river and the troops that Cyrus had could go across the river, march through the water, under the river gates to the gates of the city that were unlocked and they opened before them and they were able to go through because God said, I will give you the treasures of the darkness and the hidden riches of the secret place. I, the Lord, call you by name, Cyrus. I, the Lord, use my power, Cyrus. Because I am the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel my elect. I have even called you by your name. I have called you a pagan. You're a pagan king. And I call you by name. Even though you don't know me, I am the Lord, and there's no other. There is no God beside me. There is none beside me. I am the Lord, 
and there is no other. And then God says, I put the lights in the sky. I created the darkness. I make peace. I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all of these things. See, Cyrus probably thought that the Lord picked him because he was the smartest, because he was the most talented, maybe because he was the strongest man available. But the reason God chose him was to bless his elect. It was to bless his elect. It was to bless his people, Israel. Cyrus didn't even know the Lord. And yet God anointed him, the Scripture says. God guided him. God blessed him. And God used him. Why? Because he is the Lord. He is the potter. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the all-powerful. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. So you may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, there is no God besides me, says the Lord. I form the light, I create the darkness. I make peace, I create calamity. I, the Lord, do these things. Now what was God speaking to? What were the idols, what were the gods that the Babylonians and the Syrians, uh, the Persians worshipped? They were the gods of rain. They were the gods of sun. And God says, I do all of that. I am not a God here and a God there and a God there. I am one God. I am Almighty God. And I do all of it. I create. I bless. I sustain. I send the floods from heaven. I let the skies open and I pour out righteousness. The earth rumbles and salvation comes forth. My word accomplishes that. That's what God is saying to Cyrus. And then in verses 9 and 10, he said, Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? What are you doing? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hand? And he's talking to people who would say, what is the potter doing? I don't understand it. What is the potter doing? Or he can't create anything. He doesn't have any hands. God isn't responsible for all of this stuff. Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, what have you brought forth? Woe to the one who strives with his or her maker and says, what are you doing, God? What are you making? Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've done that in my life. I've called out and said, what are you doing? What is the matter with you? 
God, why did you do that? Can the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? What's the matter with you? And the answer is, no. No. The potter, the potter is the one who owns the clay. The potter is the one who has created the clay. The potter is the one who shapes the clay. And over my entire ministry, the one thing where people begin to say, he doesn't even have any hands, he doesn't even know what he's doing, is when we go through the difficult times. When we go through the pain. That's when I see people saying, he's not a potter, he doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, he does. If he takes the blue chip and he moves it over here, he has a purpose. It's his board. It's his game. It's his life. It's whatever God wants to do, God is able to do. And yet, God in his mercy, it's his mercy that we experience in Jesus. He's not obligated to be merciful to us. Not for one second. So if you say, there's something wrong with him, he's not merciful to me, he doesn't have to be. And until, until we are able to say, I am the clay. If God chooses to be merciful to me, I will give praise. If God chooses not to be merciful to me, I will give praise. If God does something wonderful and pours out all the treasures, I will give God praise. If I go through the valley of the shadow of death and I lose everything, I will give God praise. Until we come to that place and say, God, you are the potter. You go ahead and be the one that elects. You elect who you're going to be merciful to. And I will open my heart. And I will be obedient. And I will follow you. And I will die with Christ so that Christ can live in me. Because what you are doing, God, what you are doing, Potter, is the most important thing. And I am here to be the clay. How many of us have impurities in our hearts? Impurities in our lives. And you know what the Scripture says? We only let those impurities go when we go through the fire. The fire. First Peter. First Peter 1. You go through the fire. Why? Because I'm, I'm tempted to hold on to those impurities, but God says, no, no, I want you to release those impurities. I want to be the potter. I want to shape you. You are the clay. So the question for me this morning is, and I asked this to my two 
young grandchildren. I said, so are you willing to give God the sovereign position in your life? That's the question. Are you willing to allow God to be sovereign over who you are, what you become, your money, your time, your talents, your sin? Are you willing to let God be sovereign over everything and allow Him to be the potter and you to be the clay? And my three-year-old, four-year-old, who I'm, I'm, grooming, I'm grooming to stand up here one day. I know he's going to stand somewhere one day. He's going to proclaim the majesty of the Lord. He says, he said to me, so that means that I need to let God be in control. I said, that's exactly what it means. When your brother does something to you and he hurts you, are you willing to let God be in control of your life at that point? And he said, yes. And then we went outside and they were playing together and one of them did something to the other one and he did not follow through on what he said. (laughs) And I called him over. And I said, so what would it look like for you to give God control of your life right now and let God be sovereign? Not to to hold on to my anger. I said, are you willing to let it go? Yeah. So he let it go and then went went back out and played. So I have have six things that I have written down about, about the sovereignty of God, about the potter and the clay, that I would like to just lift up in closing today. From the beginning, the potter has a plan for the clay. It's going to be a pitcher, it's going to be a vase, it's going to be a cup, it's going to be a saucer. God created you and I in His image, and God isn't scratching His head wondering what His plan is. He has a plan. The clay often does not know the potter's plan. We don't know God's plan for our life. We know directions, we respond to calls, but we don't have any idea what God's plan is until we let him mold us as he wants to mold us. Number three, the clay is resistant to the potter until the clay is warmed and made pliable in the potter's hand. Clay only discovers the potter's plan by yielding to the potter's touch. Number four, the potter anxiously awaits the response of the clay. The potter exerts pressure to make the clay submissive. No pressure, no beauty. No pressure, no design. No pressure, no preciousness. God knows our commitment. He wants to see our commitment. He wants to exert pressure on us. The pressure of the potter forming and shaping the clay. That's what's happening when we go through a difficult moment, a difficult experience. The potter is molding 
and shaping the clay. And finally, the potter has the power to remake the vessel. If clay doesn't respond to the potter's touch, he has the authority to crush the clay and to rework it. I don't like that part. He has the authority. That's why he says a pot shared. A pot shared is a piece of, of, uh, of clay that is molded and shaped and it, it has been uh, broken and it has been shattered. That's a pot shared, right? I'm a pot shared. We're a pot shared. And God wants to take that pot shared and throw it back on the wheel to mold it and shape it. Jeremiah, Israel is about to be smashed. And in Jeremiah 19, God tells the prophet to go buy the potter's earthen flask. He says, I want you to take it to the valley of Hinnom. And Hinnom, if you, it's a garbage dump. He says, take it to the garbage dump. Take the elders with you. Take it and smash it into many pieces. And that jar cannot be put back together again by any human being. And God says, Jeremiah, tell them, that's what's going to happen to you. For you do not allow me to put my design on your life as I have planned. God is the potter. He is a sovereign potter. We are the clay. God elects in his justice, but in his mercy. God elects to come to us. And God elects those that he calls to himself, just like Israel. God elects those that he calls to himself who will be clay on the potter's wheel that he can shape and form so that they can see his image, that people can experience his goodness, his grace, and his mercy through our lives. It's not just about salvation. It's about sanctification. It's about what God wants to do in this world through those whom he calls his anointed, those that he elects and in Jesus Christ transforms their lives, calls them to himself, and we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to our faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us so that the glory of God may be displayed upon this earth. So may it be, Lord. So may it be. Let's pray.